All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, if you want to turn there. Friday night, this Friday night, uh, we have a 7 p.m. worship night at uh, the bridge. You're welcome to join us for that. Uh, JC will be leading some worship, as well as their worship leader, Sam. Um, he played uh, with us at uh, Mary Lynn when we did the art uh, deal. He was the electric guitarist there, so he'll be there also. And it's for everybody. Any, any uh, church in Maryville is welcome to come out for that, and we'll be there and praying with people in the back. And it's just a time of worship, that's it, um, and prayer. So join us for that at 7 o'clock. <clears throat> All right. Chapter 6, 2 Corinthians. As Paul is reestablishing his uh, commitment to the Corinthian church, maybe he'd been away. Um, he had started this church and had left it, he thought, in good hands, um, and they had uh, become errant. Um, which can happen. And uh, so, hearing about that, he decided to write them the first letter, and um, they received it with gladness. And you never know how those things are going to go. But they went well. And so Paul wrote a second letter, um, kind of a follow-up. Hey, the, the one issue that I had, the big one, um, you've taken care of that. That's exciting to me. I'm glad. Um, I'm sad I had to write the letter, but I'm glad that it, um, you, know, you saw it like I saw it and uh, received it and have taken care of it. Now restore this brother back into the fellowship and a few more things to share about how not to get into that place where you were. You know, something had happened. They'd allowed teachers to come in um, that didn't believe what Paul taught and thought they knew better. And there were those guys out there, just like they are today. There's still those folks out there. There's, the church has not become anything. It just is they, they had the same problems back here as we do today with false teachers and with mixed teachings and so on. Um, trying to combine uh, religions together for the sake of unity. Uh, even back then they had this. They had people that didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that Jesus was God. They have all sorts of these things, even back in here. Um, so nothing that we're running across today is like, oh, this is it, the great apostasy. Well, no, it's going to be different. That apostasy is going to be different um, than what we're even seeing right now. This is why the Bible is always relevant, because the same things we were doing, dealing with back then are the same things we're dealing with today, and the same words apply today as they did last, last time, uh, you know, years ago, thousands of years ago. And so Paul, as he writes this to them to guard themselves so they don't get um, funny doctrine mixed in with the good doctrine, he begins in verse 1, we then, as workers, together with him, Jesus, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in, in the day of, of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Uh, the word receive there can throw us off. It's as if uh, you've received, they have received grace. They believed on Jesus, but something's gone wrong or something, and he's asking them to get saved again. That's not the case. This is really more like along the lines of Mark 4, when Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower, um, where the ground received the seed immediately, but it had no root, and when the trials came, it scorched it. So the receiving doesn't mean they actually believed, it means they, they received the Word of God, they didn't know what to do with it necessarily. And so Paul is encouraging them, let this settle into your hearts. Today is the day of salvation for you, it's an acceptable day. Now is the time, you know. Um, 
We're pleading with you. Don't receive it in vain. Um, don't let it be a waste of time. You know? um, and so he's encouraging them. If you haven't received Christ, receive him and let it sink in. Let it grow deep roots. Um, it, don't be flippant with the word of God. And, and, and that's with every quiet time and with every time we crack our Bibles or any time we have a Bible study or a conference or whatever, don't receive it in vain. You've taken that kind of time to set aside for the Lord. Don't let it be for time's sake. Sometimes I can do that. And sometimes when I was you know, starting off, when, when you first get saved, you have quiet times because you're supposed to have quiet times. And so I put in the time. But I didn't receive it. Not with gladness, not with root. Um, I, I was able to walk away from it saying I had my 30 minutes and felt good about that. I had my 30 minutes. And then when someone asked me at church, did you have your quiet time this week? I could say, yes, I had my 30 minutes with God. I put in the time. Um, that's the same idea here. Um, it's the Word of God that's sprinkled on top of hard soil. And it might you know, take for a little bit, but the roots are so shallow that anything any kind of trouble comes along the way, it, it gets burnt. Um, the sun scorches it. It has no root. I want to have quiet time with the Lord, but I want to have the Lord. You know, I want His Word to settle in. Uh, I want to give it time to settle in. I want to take the time to cultivate my heart, to get it ready to receive the Word of God so that it's not just time and seed scattered that's not going to bear any fruit. It's just going to bounce or get taken away, or scorch at the first time sign of trouble. Um, and that's really what Paul's kind of getting here. Don't receive it with, with, uh, um, receive it with joy. Receive it with gladness. Um, but don't, don't receive it in vain. It's, it's, don't waste your time. Verse 3, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Um, that's how they tried to walk. Now, now, you could take that verse and say, there you go. Not supposed to offend anybody. Christ, you know, and, 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 and they forget who wrote that just there. He's the one that wrote the first Corinthian letter. Um, I, I had this conversation with a, with a I don't think he's a brother, um, but he thought he was a brother. Um, a long time ago, he just could not believe that we believed what we believed and taught what we taught, and it was just Scripture. And he goes, and I'm not going to judge anybody. I don't, I'm not going to teach my kids to judge people like you teach your kids to judge people. And I said, so how do you teach your kids the New Testament? How do you read 1 Corinthians to your kids? How do you read Romans to your kids? How do you read the things that are hard to your kids? So you can't teach them the Bible then. He was a Rob Bellite. He loved Rob Bell. And uh, um, Rob Bell's gone, thank goodness. Um, but a false teacher. But he had gotten that doctrine in his heart. He came here for a long time and then got into Rob Bell, and it really took over his heart um, to the point where anybody that called out sin was evil and not of God and not of Christ. And those that accepted it, I'm like, dude, that is 1 Corinthians. The very thing you're telling me not to do is exactly what Paul did, um, who may have been the least of the apostles, but wrote a lot of the New Testament, you know, so you can't read Paul's letters. And we have to remember that. When it tells us not to offend anybody, he just, we just read something in the Bible that told us not to do something. Don't judge. Okay, so that wasn't judging. When you told me not to judge, that wasn't judging. So we have to be careful about how we you know, receive these things and understand these things. 
And so Paul writes, we give no offense in anything. Now, he got beat on a regular basis. He was in jail on a regular basis. Um, and he wrote some pretty serious, heavy-hitting letters on a regular basis that needed to be said in love, you know. And then he writes verse 3, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Blamed for what? Blamed for not preaching the truth. Blamed for... Uh, uh, you can't be offended at us because nothing we're saying to you doesn't apply to us as well. You know, it all applies. Um, and so he's able to say that with boldness and have First and Second Corinthians under his belt as a, as a part of his resume. Um, but in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. In other words, what we do, we do in the name of God, not in our own names. We commend ourselves to that in much patience. Uh, the word there, patience, can be changed to endurance. That's what that little one next to it means. Um, they endure in the ministries of God. In tribulations, um, I don't know exactly what that means because he had different kinds of tribulations, but he names those later on, so he doesn't mean those things that he names. Um, but tribulations, difficulties, hardships, you know, that aren't named here. In needs, we ministered while we were in need. We ministered while we needed patience. We ministered in tribulations. We ministered in distresses, distressing situations. I, I would think maybe that shipwreck would be one of them. Um, that was a, dis, a distressing moment, but he still found himself being the minister of the ship um, that was going down, you know. Um, but he didn't set that aside because of the distress. He did it in that distress. And, and he, he says that's what we're called to. In tumults, I don't know what that is. It's worse than a distress, apparently. Um, in imprisonments and in stripes, I didn't want to skip those. I get beat for Christ. I'm imprisoned for Christ. I'm in distress because of Christ. I'm in tribulations because of Christ. I'm in need because of Christ. I'm in patience. I need patience and endurance because of Christ. Um, I'm in tumults. Um, those are extra special tribulations, I think. Uh, in labors. Um, he had to work. It was hard. Um, it's hard. You labor at it. Um, yes, the Holy Spirit leads us in ministry, and He equips us for ministry, and He opens doors for us in ministry, um, but it is work. It is labor. Um, it's not easy. You don't hang your shingle, and they come. You know, build it, and they will come. That's not how it works. Um, there is laboring that needs to take place. There are sowers. There are waterers. Um, there are tillers. All that. It's all labor. In sleeplessness, um, I, lost, I lose sleep over you people. You know, I thought you to be anxious for nothing. No, he was, he was in the same sleeplessness category as Jesus was. Jesus was ministering all day long and then found it necessary to get on top of the mountain and spend time with the Lord after that to get refreshed. And he slept on the boat during the storm. That's when he got his rest. But that would work backwards for me. I would crash right after ministering to 5,000 people. And then in the storm, I'd be terrified in, in a wake, you know, but he does it differently. He doesn't think physically. Paul says, in sleeplessness. That's how I ministered, in sleeplessness. In fastings, um, I, I, I fast in prayer and, and waiting on God to, to help me uh, minister to you. Now, he switches words. That was all in, 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 in. Now he switches to by. And here's how I did it. Here's, the, here's what God gave me to overcome these things. By purity. That's something that God gives us. Purity isn't a goal to please God. It's what helps us minister. It's what, it's what strengthen us, strengthens us to do the ministry that he's called us to. 
you, it's, it's impossible, well, I don't say impossible, it's very difficult to have patience tribu- in tribulation, needs, distresses, when you're not pure. The purity is what helps us. It, it's, uh, by knowledge, I study, I know, um, I'm, I'm aware, I'm, I'm able to give it out. By knowledge, I'm able to do these ministries. Um, that's a gift from God. By long-suffering, that is something that God provides for us to be able to go through things for a very long time that would normally wear us out, that would normally cause us to give up or to quit um, or to say it's not worth it. But by God's provision, the long sufferings that God gave us, um, that's a gift of the Spirit. I'm able to do these things. By kindness, that's not easy. And that doesn't come naturally to us. Kindness. Um, I read a post from one lady, the same lady, uh, the day before was, uh, this is my motto, uh, I'm trying to be as kind as I can to everybody. And the very next day, the post was, I hate McDonald's because they did this to me. They, they dropped my change out the window and made me go pick it up. I'm like, wow, that's a great example of me trying to do something in the flesh with a note card strapped to my mirror. And then the very next day, God gives me something where I could apply it and I fail because I do it in my own strength. I don't know. I don't mean to make fun of her. That's me. That's not just her. That's me. Here, I'm going to really, really go to the gym in January, you know. And then February comes, you know. And I never went in January anyway, you know. Um, That's a New Year's resolution kind of thing. And, and, And what Paul's saying is here, ministry is not a resolution. I'm not determined within my spirit to get this going. That, that doesn't do anybody any good because eventually you run out of your own strength. We know that. Paul says, by kindness, I'm able to minister. By the Holy Spirit, um, <clears throat> by, and I don't mean to skip him, um, the Holy Spirit's obviously essential, but it's by the Holy Spirit that I minister, that I have the strength that I do what I do. It's by the Holy Spirit you have long suffering. It's by the Holy Spirit you have kindness, knowledge, fastings, purity, all these things. Um, by sincere love, not just love, not eros. Valentine's Day is coming up. There's that eros love, and there's nothing wrong with that. The marriage bed is undefiled, and that's exciting to go on a date night with your wife and so on and um, be romantic um, and have that kind of love. There's nothing wrong with that, but this is different. This is a sincere love. This is an agape love. This is a love that doesn't require the person to reciprocate um, at all. Um, that's the kind of love that was at the cross. That, that kind of love was while we were enemies, he loved us. Um, he wasn't doing it because we loved him. He wasn't doing it because he owed us or expecting anything. He did it because he loved. Um, that's the kind of love that Paul, uh, that drives and, and, and is the power of Paul's ministry. I do this out of love, sincere love. I honestly don't want you to go to hell. I honestly want you to have the best life God can give you or that God intended for you. I honestly want you to live a pure life that God is offering to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, That's that kind of love. By the word of truth. He says, I minister by the word of truth, not by deception, not by lying, not by mixing things, but simply God's word, the word of truth. By the power of God. It's all Him. I know that, he says. It's not me. It's not my eloquent voice. It's not my strength or my looks. It has to do with the power of God. People get saved around Paul and churches get planted under Paul's authority because he's with God. And Paul knows that. Um, By the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. That's armor for him. Righteousness is armor. It's a a safe place 
with which to protect yourself. Righteousness. You want to be on the right side of things. And there is a wrong side of things. Everything. You want to be on the right side of things. God's side is the right side. Um, And he does that, he says. Um, By honor and dishonor. What does he mean by that? Well, he honors God. He's honorable in the way he carries himself, but he may be represented in a dishonorable way. That's the point of this letter, remember? He is an honorable man of God, but he was being whispered about that he was a dishonorable man. Um, And he says, whatever works, you know, whether that's in honor or whether I'm whispered about in dishonor, I'm going to use it to bring God glory. Um, That's the idea. Um, Deceivers, as, and then he switches, okay, sorry, by, by evil report and good report, kind of going along with the honor and dishonor thing. Um, uh, whether I hear an evil report about the Corinthian church, then I use it to bring God glory by writing the first Corinthian letter, or whether I have a good report, which I got from Titus, hearing about you guys receiving the first letter I sent you. Either way, um, it's, it's how I minister. And then he switches the words again to as. As deceivers, that's the perception, and yet true. That's the reality. He's going to switch back and forth between these. As, as deceivers, but not really. We're the truth. And, and uh, when, when, when evil calls good evil, uh, and, and good you know, calls out evil for what it is, that's, that's the last days. You know? um, when people say the church is evil. No, the church isn't evil. The church is the reason why hell hasn't showed up yet you know, in full force. We're a restraining power on this earth. Um, and that's what he means. You can call me a deceiver all you want. I'm, I'm preaching the truth. I'm preaching Jesus. Um, as unknown and yet known, well known. Um, that's what they would say about him. Who's this Paul? Who is he? Who knows about him? You know, this is so-and-so. He's famous. He's got websites. He's been all over the place. He packs out the crowds. This is known. Who's this guy? I think we're going to be really surprised when we get to heaven who's standing in the front row. Who's got the crowns that are maybe, you know, a little taller than ours or whatever? I think we're going to be surprised. It's going to be that guy. Who's that? He was the, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to label, I don't want to even say who it is, but it's going to be the, it's going to be someone we don't expect. Let's put it that way. Whoever that might be in your life. It'll be someone we don't expect. Like, man. And God's like, this guy was faithful. This gal was an amazing Christian, just amazingly faithful. I mean, no matter what, I'm like, Who is she? I mean, she didn't even have a Facebook page. Who is this girl? You know, kind of thing. I don't know who she is. Who's he? And and it'll all be known. Um, We'll be known like like we'll know like 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 uh, like we're known when we stand there. It's gonna be like wow. I think we'll be surprised. That's an unknown person yet well known. Well known by who? By, By God. God knows who Paul is. Uh, as dying, and behold, we live. You know, they're not very vibrant. He's kind of pasty. I'm pretty sure he's on his last leg. He's got a cane. He's walking with a limp. Whatever it is, he looks decrepit. Uh, that was, remember, Israel's problem when they were looking at Saul to be king. He was the tallest. He was the one they were looking for. He was the most handsome. He was the, he was the guy, you know. That, obviously, he's head and shoulders, and literally that's what they said about him, head and shoulders above everybody else, and he was. And yet when they wanted to anoint him to be king, does anybody remember where he was? Hiding behind the suitcases and in the, in the cargo. Has anybody seen Paul? We're ready to put this crown on his head. 
<laughs> he didn't want to do it. I don't know if I would either, but that, that wasn't his reason for hiding. He was a coward. He was a coward. He was a coward when it came to the Philistines. And Goliath was standing down there, and the tallest, biggest guy of the Israelites should have been down there. You know, and who's that? That's Saul. But Saul was sitting in his tent saying, I wonder who's going to go out there and be stupid enough to fight him. You know? Then comes along David. Well, that's the idea. You may look like you're dying. You may look feeble to this world. You may not be the one with the Botox face or whatever that you need today to, to, to do well. You may not have the chiseled features, the strong jawline, the beautiful you know, TV hair. And you may look like you're dying, but behold, we live. God's looking at the heart. He's looking at the soul. He's looking at the, the relationship that you have with him. That's what Paul says. No, we live. We live more than anybody. I mean, I know we're not much to look at. and We barely make it to the next town. But as far as God's concerned, we live. As chastened and yet not killed. See, the perception was these guys are getting beat up everywhere they go. And Paul's like, no, you misunderstand. We're not dead. He always looked on that side of things. I mean, that's just really, you know, how could they be great men of God? They're always getting whipped and beat up and in prison. I think God, you know, and you know what they were thinking. God's just trying to hold them down so that they don't do any more damage than they're already doing. That's the perception. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. We're not dead. We should be. We could have been. But as far as we're concerned, God's let us live and breathe for another day of ministry as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Their sorrow was in lost souls. Their sorrow was in defeated Christians. Their sorrow was in the persecuted church. That's where their sorrow was. That doesn't mean that they were depressed necessarily, although they does talk about that in the next chapter a little bit. Not depressed, but sorrowful, but we're rejoicing. This is all going to come to an end. Christ is coming soon, you know, and we're going to those mansions that he's gone away to prepare for us. And if it were not so, he would have told us. We know that. That's the rejoicing. Um, they rejoice that in that sorrow, in those lost souls, that, that, and even in the persecuted church, persecuted church, Christ was, um, was proclaimed unto death. That's amazing. Paul would rejoice in that, although sorrowful for the person who died and who lost their life, or gave their life, not lost it. Sorrowful that there were souls that were dying, but joyful that many were getting saved, you know? Um, that kind of thing. As poor, yet making many rich. We don't have enough to get to the next town, but we're preaching Jesus everywhere we go, you know? And people are getting rich off of us. We're not getting rich off of them, but we're getting, they're getting rich off of us, and that's a good thing. I think that's why he says that. Is it a is it a small thing? Remember when he wrote the first Corinthians? Is it a small thing that you're made rich by us that we reap some physical blessings from you? Is that a small? Is that a big deal? Why is that a big deal? You know, um, they didn't make a lot, <laughs> having nothing, and yet possessing all things. And of course, that's the inheritance of Christ. We don't have anything compared to you guys. We don't have, but we possess everything. So. That's how Paul saw it. That's, that is the reality of it. Here's the perception. Here's the reality. And he goes back and forth with that. So that's an interesting Bible study in and of itself. The in, 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 in. The by, 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 by. And the as, 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 as. You can look that up. It's interesting how he writes that down. Now, he gets excited here. Oh, Corinthians, he says with an exclamation point. We have spoken openly to you. 
Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affliction or afflictions. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. That's a parent's dream. You know, I want my kids to always be open with me, always want to sit down and talk with me. And I never want to be that kind of parent where they're afraid to do that with me. You know, I want them to be able to sit down and say the most unbelievable thing to me and have me not, have my jaw not hit the floor in front of them. Because that's a kid's worst fear. I remember those moments. I don't know if you do or not. Maybe you were a really good kid, but I'd have to walk up to my parents on a Saturday morning because of a Friday night incident. And say, uh, Dad, and my terror was their facial, their, their expression is what I hated to see. I think that's every kid's nightmare is the expression on their parents' face. So I pray that way, you know. When they have to tell me something, when they need to tell me something that's going on in their heart or in their mind, that my face isn't, you know, What? You know, with exasperation and fear, and you know, I knew it. I knew I should have never told him. I want to be able to look him in the eye and say, Yeah, been there. It was, you know, 40 years ago or 30 years ago that I was there, but yeah, I remember being 17 or 18 years old and having to say that, you know, something like that to my parents. I want to be that way. Paul's just like, I've been so open with you. I'm not restricting you. Your restriction comes from your own afflictions. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Not only with each other, but with me too. I mean, just be open to each other. You don't have to conceal your sin. You don't have to conceal your regret. You don't have to conceal your repentance. You know, be open about that stuff. And that's a good check for all of us at church, you know. That our jaws don't hit the floor when we can't believe that person's here. Or, I've said that, I don't know how many times I've said that, Someone will walk in the door, and I'm honestly, genuinely surprised to see them in, in a happy way, but it comes out really odd. I go, what are you doing here? That's not what a pastor's supposed to say to someone who's darkening the door of a church. I don't mean it like that, like, what are you doing here? I mean, i, I got to change it, right? i got to say, hey, that's great, and probably shouldn't even do that. What? No, you know, I need to find a better reaction. But, but open, open, open. Oh, that's so great, man. I'm so glad that you're, uh, you know, talking about your sin as sin as opposed to boasting about it at work. There's a difference. Still talking about it. One was boasting. Can you believe how many or whatever I did? But you're in front of God and you're in front of God's people and you're saying, can you believe what I did? can absolutely believe what you did because you're a person like everybody else. You know, we're all this close to doing what you did. Now, we haven't done what you did, but no, I would say, I'd never say that. You don't want to be like that. But, I, you know, so close. I mean, I'm, I'm you, dude. I'm the same. And we have to be careful that as we live this righteous life like Paul lived, and the purity that he relied upon, and we gain that and have that, and we're conquering sin in our life that we don't ever forget that people aren't where we are. But they're trying to get there. And we're all going in the same direction. Some of us has just been here longer, you know, to be very careful about that. 
And so Paul says, be open like I've been open with you. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And that word there is Satan, actually. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now, we take this to and primarily use this set of scriptures for marriage. And it does apply. But this is not in context what he's talking about. He's not talking about marriage. He's talking about church. He's talking about believers. In any way, shape, or form, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, whether that's in business. Don't be yoked to them. There's nothing wrong with attending or going to. I'm not one of those guys that boycott Levi's. They, they support homosexuality. Um, who doesn't? You need to boycott Walmart, McDonald's, Burger King, KFC, whatever your favorite place is, they all do corporately. They must. They do. It's just part of the laws and rules now. So that's not exactly what he's talking about here. I'm talking about going into partnership with and business with unbelievers and expecting it to be a marriage made in heaven. You know, that's not going to happen. It does apply to marriage. Don't marry an unbeliever. You're not going to change their hearts. Christ has to change their hearts. And if they choose not to accept Christ's forgiveness, you're bound to that person for as long as they live or you live. Don't be bound together with them thinking that they're going to change. Wait for them to change. Wait for them to be born again. Then marry them. That's fine. But don't, don't do that evangelism dating thing. Um, not a good idea. But it's, it's far beyond that. He's even talking about their church. You, you can't be in agreement with these two. And he, 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 the, the blending of, of, of and, and this unity movement in, and even is here. The unity of um, unity for unity's sake. In other words, can't we all just not fight? That's what they, you know, the, the absence of conflict. Uh, the Muslims, um, the, the Buddhists, uh, everybody, we can all just get together, and the Christians can all just get together and just worship. Can we all agree that we worship one true God? And that's the unity movement. Um, and Paul isn't into that. And if you're a Christian and you believe God's word, then you're not to be into that either. You know, that's what it teaches here. You can't have agreement with the temple of God and with the temple of idols. You can't. There is no agreement to be had. Um, so there is no unity there. There's unity in the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible talks about, but that's believing in the one and true living God um, and worshiping Jesus as God come in the flesh. That's unity. Um, if you don't believe that Jesus is God come in the flesh and the only God that's ever come in the flesh, um, then you're in a cult, and that can't be in fellowship with one another. You can't do that. <clears throat> so he's talking about something much bigger than just marriage. Um, marriage included, but not, um, not the only thing he's speaking of here. And so I pick up on these words. There's fellowship, there's communion, there's accord. Um, there is, we, we are a part of those people and we are in agreement. Those are the words I circled in that whole section, 14, uh, 15, and 16. Fellowship. I can't have fellowship. There is no fellowship. Um, there is no communion. Uh, oneness, you know. With, there's communion with Christ, but there's not communion with darkness. Um, there's no accord. Um, you can't be together in one accord. Um, there's no part. I can't be a part of a group like that. Um, no agreement. I can't be in agreement with the, what they believe. I'm not in agreement with them. It's okay to be like that. 
The world is telling us that it's not okay to be like that. It is okay. God's Word tells us He's not in agreement with them. And that should be enough for us. So I am not in agreement with them because I am Christ's. I belong to Him. I represent Him. I'm an ambassador. My nation, heaven, tells me they're not in agreement with them. So therefore, I'm an ambassador here. Uh, I need to represent heaven correctly. Um, There's nothing worse than having an ambassador that's rogue. It's not representing their king like they're supposed to. That's off making deals and bargains and agreements with people that, no, 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 no. No, I never authorized that, God says. I never authorized these agreements, these accords, this fellowship. No. We got to be careful about that. Um, I remember when the, what do they call it here in town? Every, every town has a ministerial alliance or a ministerial fellowship, and they change the words around to whatever it means, and it's where the, all, the, all the churches get together cults and otherwise, um, and they all join together and they just agree to disagree, um, and they have donuts and coffee, and they talk about whatever they're going to do, okay? I went to one. They, they invited me once. <laughs> and that I don't have a problem with, with uh, 75% of the guys that were there at the table, but 25% of them didn't believe that Jesus was God come in the flesh. Um, they didn't believe in heaven. The 25% didn't believe there was a hell. 25% didn't believe that God's word was God's word. Um, and, I, and I asked the guy who invited me, I said, how, how do you do that? How do you do this? How do you have a ministerial alliance? And we, he says, we don't call it an alliance. It's not an alliance. What do you call it? It's a fellowship. Okay, so what fellowship does light have with darkness? And it doesn't matter what word you use, God's covered it. Well, we don't, you know. I said, you guys were just talking about having a Bible study and rotating people into that position to teach that Bible study. Everybody here at this table is going to take turns. What happens when they show up and teach the Bible study? To the people that you've been teaching You've been teaching them the Word of God. This person says, I don't believe the Word of God. They're going to come in and teach something else, contrary to what you taught, and yet we're all part of the same group. How are you going to do that? I got a little loud. He goes, well, I don't think they'll show up. (laughs) Dude, I'm out of here. I'm out of here, man. And so I have my own ministerial group. (laughs) I hang out with people that are born-again evangelical pastors here in town, and we partner with them and hang out with them and we do stuff, and I don't go to that one meeting where they all think it's okay. I just steer clear of it. Um, I didn't divide it. I just don't, I can't do it with a clear conscience because God's Word tells me I can't do it with a clear conscience. You know? Um, Anyway, so... They still send me the notes from those meetings, though. Fifteen years later, I'm still getting the notes. Here's what we talked about. Here are the minutes. Delete. Whatever. Um, For you are the temple of the living God, he says. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the reason he quotes that is that that is to be awe-inspiring to us. I have the living God with me. I don't get to make these calls on what's light and dark. He does. I don't get to make accords, communion, agreements, fellowship with, a part of. I don't get to do any of that because he walks with me and is in me. I will dwell in them, not with them, in them. 
and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, he doesn't say he wants us to be separate, but in the world. We're just not of the world. Does that make sense? In the world, but not of the world. So we're separate. He does not mean that we should go out of this world, for that would be impossible. He says that in another section of Scripture. In the world, but not of it. Separate. It's okay to be different. It's okay to not look like everybody else. Um, All right, verse 1, chapter 7. Therefore, because of everything he said so far, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness and of the flesh and spirit, Uh, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, knowing that God is in us, walking with us, wherever we go, whatever we watch, whatever we say, whatever we do, knowing he's there, cleanse ourselves. That sounds like we've got some personal responsibility there to do this. I do pray those prayers, God help me not to sin anymore, but what I mean and what God does are two different things. You know, God possess me, Take over my free will and only do what you want to do with me. I would willingly, lovingly give up my, all my rights. Wouldn't anybody, I don't know who wouldn't, who loves Jesus, just take over, puppet me. I just want to be your puppet. But he won't do that. He doesn't want that kind of relationship with us. I want you to know that I'm with you no matter what. Let's see what happens there. Let's see what happens with that. And knowing that you've got this pure, absolutely beautiful God in you and walking with you, that keeps me from doing the things my flesh wants to do as if I wasn't in a relationship with him. Because my flesh still thinks I'm not in a relationship with somebody. And he's still trying to get me, that flesh is still trying to get me to commit adultery with other gods and other things and all that stuff. And he's still whispering in this ear, I think he's on my left telling me to do these things. And God says, I'm right along with you. I'm in you. Go where you want to go. I don't want to take you anywhere you don't want to go. So what do you like? And unlike, oh, I better stop. No, I have to. Unlike your wife or girlfriend, they'll actually tell you where they want to eat. (laughs) And not say, I don't really care when they really do. I'm just kidding. I just had to throw that in there because it was divisive. (laughs) Sorry. God will tell us in his word what he likes, what he doesn't like, where he wants to go, where he doesn't want to go. His Holy Spirit will check us. He'll check us. I'm going to head over here. It's kind of interesting, don't you think? I don't want to go in there, he says. I got a choice to make. Do I drag him in there anyway? there or whatever that is, whatever that looks like, or do I listen to that Holy Spirit prompting me, checking me? Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness and of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's my goal. I want to perfect holiness, and that is up to me. He gives us the strength and equips us and gives us the the desire and then tells us in his word, I want you to do this now. Open your hearts to us, Paul says. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn. Um, I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. 
Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your, be- on, uh, on your behalf. I like that verse. Yeah, I may be the one who wrote 1 Corinthians to you. I may have been bold and a little harsh, but I also boast about you more than anybody else. I'm your biggest cheerleader. You know? I'm your biggest uh, fan. I talk about the Corinthian church to Titus all the time. Oh, that church is amazing. Man, are they on fire. Boy, they move in the gifts of the Spirit. And then we heard that bad report about you, and I immediately wrote this 1 Corinthians. As much as I cheerlead you, and I'm your biggest fan, I also have such a heart for you that I'll speak to you in boldness. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulations. And here's where he explains it. For indeed, and here's why I was joyful in my tribulation, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Terrible ministry experience right there. Terrible mission field, he says. It's horrible. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. It didn't matter where we were. There was no place of rest for us, inside or outside. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, which means they were, comforted us by the coming of Titus. That was exciting to see him alone. But what he told us was even more exciting. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. He came in with the biggest smile on his face because we had boasted about you, but we had also wrote 1 Corinthians to you. But he came back to us and we saw that light on his face. He was like, I just came back from Corinth. Seeing him was awesome, but seeing him all lit up because he was in contact with you and it gets better, when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. He had a message from them. Oh, man, that letter hit them to the heart. No, they don't want to kill you when you come. No, they're not going to put you in prison. No, they haven't revoked your invitation. They took care of it, man. They read your letter and they believed it. And they're doing what you told them to do and asked them to do. And what was on your heart is in their heart now. And Paul's like, yes. Nothing better than in the middle of a difficult ministry situation to run into a brother, you know, or a sister who's just on fire and just has, you know, great things. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. He's not, that's how Paul writes, you know. He didn't want to write the letter, but he wrote it. I regret that I have to write this letter, but I don't regret that I wrote it. I needed to. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. In other words, you didn't get swallowed up in sorrow. You didn't sit there and say, I'm a terrible Christian. We're never going to amount to nothing. It made you sorry for a while, but then you got right. So that's how God's Word is supposed to work in all of our hearts. It may be hard to read, even tonight. Man, I'm feeling kind of sorry right now. But when you act on it and you receive God's word with gladness and you're obedient to it, all of a sudden you're like, ah, there's a freedom there that God gives you in obedience to his word. I wasn't sure how I felt about that. I mean, I felt like I got kicked in the gut, but man, I took it to heart. I believed God at his word and I did what he told me to do. And oh my goodness, it worked, you know? Exciting. So I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that it made you sorry, but it was only sorrow for a little bit but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, 
that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Two different kinds of sorrow, you know. You got the, you got the sorrow that the world got caught, you know. You know that's the guy in the mugshot who's crying. I can't believe I got caught again, you know. But then goes out and does another DUI or whatever it is, you know. So there's no repentance there. It was just, sorry, I got caught. But Paul says that's not the kind of sorrow you had. The sorrow you had led to repentance. It led to a changed life. It meant to, to changing that day. As soon as I heard the word of God, as soon as it touched me, I went, oh, man, that's never going to happen again. I'm making purposeful decision to be obedient to God, you know. That's what you did. For observe this very thing, that your sorrow... Uh, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, Paul's excited, exclamation point. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this manner. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. I wrote you this letter to show you my love. Because someone who doesn't love you wouldn't have wrote that letter. They would have let it go. They would have overlooked it. They would have let it slide. They didn't really care where it led you. You know. That's why parents have it tough, I think. And kids, when you have kids, you'll understand what we mean by that. Parent has to have the hard conversation with you. Your friends may not have that hard conversation with you because they don't want to lose your friendship. It's more important to them that they're satisfied by your friendship than for you to stop going down the road that you're going down. You know? And parents, we've got to have that hard conversation. I don't know how this is going to affect our relationship, but whether you hate me for the rest of your life or not makes no difference. You go down this road, I might lose you. You may not be in heaven, or you may die. Or, I mean, parents, we give them the hard truth. And that's how Paul feels about this church. Yeah, it may sound rough. I may be bold in speech, but I'm also, I also boast about you like a parent, you know? And I wrote this letter not so that you could feel sorry or not that you'd feel bad. I didn't mean it wasn't my power over your power. I, I was hoping that my love for you might show through, and it did, and it did. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. Um, that's probably not what they expected. Um, they changed because they knew they were wrong. They changed and did what they needed to do and repented because they knew it was the right thing to do in the sight of God. But the the ripple effects of that in Paul's life is amazing. When I decide to follow God and to do what he's told me to do, it affects other people because that's encouraging that I see someone doing what God tells them to do. That means I might be strengthened to do what God's telling me to do and so on. We encourage one another. We spur one another on to good works. In this, they had no idea that Paul was going through a tough time. They didn't realize his ministry was so... Uh, hurtful and harmful and, and rough at that time. And just hearing about my repentance made you feel better? Awesome. And we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. 
For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. We had talked to you, we talked to Titus all about you. Titus, you wouldn't believe this church. Titus, you've got to visit this church. Titus, this Corinthian church is amazing. They're going to do great things. We hear about them all over the world. This Corinthian church, Titus, Titus, Titus. And then Titus finds out that they're that way, that they're wicked and they're terrible church and they're following out and they hate Paul. How does that make Titus feel? Titus is like, man, I don't know why I'm in the ministry. I mean, you spend that much time, Paul, and you talk about them like they're great, they've totally thrown you out, man. They hate you over there. Yeah, I know. I'm going to write them a letter. A letter, Titus might say to Paul. You're going to write them a letter? You think they're even going to open it? They hate you. Yeah, I'll write them a letter. Let's see what God does. Let's pray. They sent that letter off. Titus visits the Corinthian church and says, dude, that, that letter, not dude, Paul, that letter really worked. They are on fire, just like you said. And that's what Paul's talking about here. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true also. I mean, that's the idea. Titus learned a valuable lesson there. I mean, it's not written. There's maintenance that needs to be done in our walk. It's not like set it and forget it. It's not like my walk started and I'm just a matter of time before I get to my destination. Sometimes there's letters. Sometimes you'll read Galatians in a whole new light because somewhere along the line in the years before when you read it, things have changed in your life and you read Galatians again and you're like, I'm a Galatian. I'm a foolish Galatian. Someone's bewitched me. And you read that letter in a whole different light. When you first got saved, Galatians was like, yeah, those Galatians are dumb, you know? Five years down the line, you're reading it, you're like, I'm dumb. You know? There's some maintenance with God's word. The quiet times aren't to just maintain those times. Those times, it's our, it's our reference point. It's our, am I thinking like God's thinking? Am I prayed up? Am I walking with the Lord? Um, am I going backwards? Or am I moving forwards? Do these words cut me more? Or am I feeling more encouraged by them than I am convicted by them, you know. Um, that's what these things are for. That's why we read. That's why we study. And that Titus learned a great lesson there. People need maintenance, but maintenance works. God's word works. Um, and, Paul, and Paul would be encouraged by that as well as Titus. And verse 15, his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. It's a great letter, isn't it? It's a great chapter um, for us, too. God has great confidence in us. He does. God has great love for us. Jesus has a fantastic view of us. He boasts about us. The way Paul boasts is not because he's Paul. It's because he has the Spirit of Christ. And the way Paul boasts about the Corinthian church to Titus, he boasts about you and I the same way. Oh, man, that JD. He is one awesome brother. He talks about me. He shared me, you know, all this. And I'm like, and then I have my quiet time. He's like, I, I boasted about you to a lot of people up here or around or wherever. And I brought, you know, you might want to read this chapter again, you know. And I read it and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. 
I have been off base. You're right. I see that, you know. Maintenance. But he still boasts about us. And he boasts even more about us, saying, man, he was way off base. But then he read that one chapter that I had Paul write that one time, and he got totally straightened out, and now I can boast about him even more because he, he not only got wrong, but he got right again. And the maintenance is done. He believed me at my word. He still loves me. He's closer to me now than he ever has been. That's how Christ boasts about you and I. And that's what he wants to do with this world. So we've got a work cut out for us as far as sharing God's truth, maintaining our own walk with Jesus, being honest, being open with the Lord um, about where we stand with him every day, every time I open the Bible. Just like David prayed, God, search me and know me. Because I think I know myself, but I bet you know me a little bit better than I know myself. So search me and know me. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as a fellowship and individually that you would search us and know us, God. Thank you for your word. It's encouraging. Um, thank you for the Corinthian church. You know, we don't spend a lot of time thanking you for these brothers and sisters back then that received that first letter, but that would be a tough letter to receive. If they were that far gone and under that kind of teaching, that they would receive this letter from Paul and be changed by it so dramatically. Um, we thank you for them and their obedience to your word because it blessed our brother Paul who ministers to us each and every day we read his word. That you put in his heart to write, we understand. We're not exalting him, but he was a brother that you found faithful and used greatly. Um, and the Corinthians' obedience was a blessing to him and therefore a blessing to us as well. God, help us to be that blessing to other people as well that we would receive your word with gladness, that it wouldn't just hit the surface and have a little bit of root, but um, be shallow. We want it to be deep. We want to be not only in, you know, men and women of God, we want to be um, marriages of God, we want to be families of God, we want to be a fellowship of God, um, we want to be a church that's known for obedience um, to you, Jesus. So Lord, thank you for this tonight. Uh, we love you. Help us to, if we need to, make that 180 tonight and uh, go the other direction. Um, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.